Hey y'all, this is the Christ Center Conversations Podcast, and I'm Shelby Stanfill. And I'm Kevin Stanfill. Each week, we come together and discuss the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy listening to this week's episode. Welcome to episode 31 of the Book of Mormon podcast. We're so happy that we're here and we get to talk about the scriptures. And uh, actually, it was two weeks ago, at right? Two weeks ago that Daniel messaged you? Or last week? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let me share who Daniel is. Daniel was a friend of ours, and he was here in the Arlington YSA. He doesn't live here anymore. Um, but he uh, messaged Kevin um, about the plates. And the reason I bring this up is because Last week on our podcast, we were talking about 2 Nephi 5, um, and we kind of talked a lot about the separation that occurred in that chapter. And towards the end of that top chapter, we talk about the plates um, of Nephi, and we talk about his large and smaller plates. And we wanted to bring back in the discussion from not last week, but the week before about the plates that we had. And so this is where Daniel comes in. Uh, Daniel uh, messaged Kevin and I believe he said something along the lines of um, we had, we had said something incorrectly or we, I can't remember. It wasn't, it wasn't so much incorrect. We just need to make a clarification. And, right. and what that did is it also made us study the subject a little bit better so go. that we could deliver that clarification. So right. in in chapter, I believe it was chapter three. Um, was chapter four. four, excuse me. Chapter four, yeah. It was chapter four. Around verse 14, I think. That's right. Yeah. And Nephi, he relate or refers to mine other plates. And in verse 15, he says, and upon these plates, or upon these, meaning these plates, I write the things of my soul. And so whenever we hear in the scriptures a reference to other plates, at least within uh, from 1 Nephi through Words of Mormon, mm -hmm. these plates refers to the small plates of Nephi, which include, um, well, the things of Nephi's soul, right? The, the more spiritual things that happened. Those are the smaller plates. Right. Otherwise known. Meanwhile, the other plates are referring to the large, large plate. plates. And this large, if you think of it rationally, the larger plates have more history because there's so much more information mm -hmm. and fine detail that's added in a larger record as opposed to a smaller record which is more, more like a finely curated with very special spiritual instances. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what I said at that time, well, Shelby, I she had, said, oh, go ahead. I had said, because I had underlined in my scripture under other plates, I had a little arrow that said 116 pages, Book of Lehi. And I had said that, and then Kevin said, no. I think you said no to, and then said that's the history part, or something right? Like that. Because I didn't, I didn't think that the Book of Lehi, uh -huh. which is the 116 lost, lost manuscript pages uh, from the the 
translation process of the Book of Mormon mm -hmm. by Joseph Smith, I didn't think that those were on the large plates. I thought they were from the small plates. Gotcha. But as it turns out, the, the small plates were especially made by Nephi and had some um, extra, like some, some um, I don't want to, yeah, redundant information. Because even later, like um, Mormon, in the process of abridging all these records, he says, you know, I don't really know why I'm doing this, but it's a wise purpose that the Lord has asked me or commanded me rather to include these small plates, this small record in there. Right. So that leads us into, so we just wanted to clarify that, that those other plates did have the writing or the larger plates had the writings of Lehi on them. Correct. Right. And then when we get to second Nephi five, um, and I hope this is making sense. And if it's not, I would invite you to pause it and go back until you understand it. And we're actually going to link a video that will explain this wonderfully, which we actually pause that video multiple times to stop and talk and, and figure it out because it's important that we understand how this book compiled together. Mm -hmm. So, um, Basically, if you're not understanding, go ahead and stop. Go watch that video or stop the podcast and rewind back and listen to it again. Um, but we're going to go ahead and move forward to 2 Nephi 5 at this point um, in verse 29. And we're uh, just a reminder, it has been 30 years uh, time since they have less left Jerusalem. And so now they're in the land of Nephi. They're living after the manner of happiness. They're separated from their brethren. And... And he's been keeping a record this whole time. Nephi has. And in 30, it says, And it came to pass that the Lord God said unto me, Make other plates, and thou shalt engrave in many things upon them, which are good in my sight for the profit of my people. So I guess I have to kind of redact what I said. I guess not every instance where it says other plates, it's talking about the large plates. Because this, he says, The, the Lord God said unto me, Make other plates. Which are the small plates. Which are actually the small plates or these plates upon which he's now writing. Right. And I think this might be the one instance where it's not I think talking so. about the large plates, to be honest with you. So minus this one thing, <laughs> it is talking about the large plates. But um, he he this is where Nephi, 30 years later, starts to make these smaller plates, which those smaller plates include uh, first and second Nephi. Jacob, Enos, Jerem, and all nine. And of course, at this point, only Nephi has written his portion up to this point. Mm -hmm. Later on, Enos, mm -hmm. who's the son of Jacob. Right. Uh, Jacob himself has a record that he puts on there. Yep. As well as a man named Jerem, Omni, and even Mormon himself adds his words to it. To it that say, hey, I've included this. I don't really know why, because a lot of things have already been talked about in the book of Lehi, mm -hmm. though he doesn't call it that. Right. He says the larger plates. Um, but he did it because the Lord knew that we would lose some of those precious things uh, with the loss of the manuscript pages. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, Nephi writes a quick testimony um, in verse uh, 32. 
he says he's engraved those things which are pleasing unto God. And he says, if my, if my people are pleased with the things of God, they will be pleased with mine engravings, which are upon these plates. Hmm. And if they, uh, my people desire to know the more particular part of the history of my people, they must search mine other plates, um, which that does refer to. That refers to, well, the writings of Lehi, which get lost. Right. Uh, Nephi, uh, third and fourth Nephi, Mosiah, Alma, and Helaman. Uh-huh. So those are those other plates. Um, and, and that's just. And, and when it, when you go back to, when you follow the footnote to the other plates in verse 33, uh-huh. it does, it goes back to the very first chapter of the Book of Mormon in verse 17. It says, but I shall make an account of my proceedings in my days. Behold, I make an abridgment of the record of my father upon plates, which I have made with mine own hands. Wherefore, after I've abridged the record of my father, then will I make an account of mine own life. And so that he took a lot of things from his father's record mm-hmm. and wrote them at the very beginning of first Nephi. And then that's, yeah. that's unfortunately what a lot of what was lost. Um, but but we still had but we had Nephi. yeah we had it because he made that abridgment he wrote it down. which really goes to show that heavenly father was so he was in this design and he knew who to tell what to write and what to do and um those people just did what they were told i mean nephi did what he was told mormon did what he was told moroni did what he was told um it's it's a beautiful thing how these actually really came together um, I don't know if we do want to keep talking about further. Well, yeah, what we'll do is we'll okay. we'll say this uh, in verse thirty four, closing out chapter five. Um, forty years passes away, and this this is forty years from the time that they separate from their brethren and mm-hmm. build up a civilization, and now even in that time. They've had contentions with their brethren. Now, in verse, or excuse me, chapter six, Jacob, who was a younger, younger brother of Nephi, is a grown man, and he's been teaching for a long time. And we get to learn from him some marvelous doctrine Mm -hmm. regarding the Savior Jesus Christ. And what Jacob does is. He begins likening the words of Isaiah unto the people of Nephi. Mm -hmm. And something that we've talked about before is that the words of Isaiah, or in other words, the prophecies of Isaiah, they were written in a deeply symbolic, poetic form of Hebrew. It's going to be... From time to time, it's hard for us to understand all of what Isaiah is talking about unless we have a very rich knowledge of the Hebrew culture and the symbols that they were familiar with, of which we know some. Um, And I'm going to try to point out some of those as I go along, Shelby. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you'll have some thoughts on them as we go. Yeah, I wanted to pause and interrupt you for a second. Sure. Um, I went to the Guide to the Scriptures in um, 
the library app, yeah. Gospel Library app. And it says, um, I'm just going to read the first part that talks about like who Isaiah is. But it says, uh, Jesus quoted Isaiah more frequently than he quoted any other prophet. Isaiah is also quoted frequently by Peter, John, and Paul in the New Testament. The Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants contain more quotes from Isaiah than from any other prophet and provide much help in interpreting Isaiah. Nephi taught his people from the writings of Isaiah. The Lord told the Nephites that great are the words of Isaiah and that all things Isaiah prophesied would be fulfilled. Um, and so it's just interesting that it talks about how Isaiah was like the most quoted frequent quote, I'm sorry, frequently quoted prophet out of all of them. Um, and so it shows the significance of it. And it actually, if you read under the book of Isaiah and guide to the scriptures, which is under Isaiah, by the way, they're both under there. Um, it talks about the chapters um, in second Nephi, actually, so like chapters 2, 11, 12, 35. It just talks about all of it and, and says it summarizes it up which is pretty interesting. But I just want to put that out there, that if we want to learn more about Isaiah himself, there's lots of resources to go and find them and learn of him. What does it say concerning the second Nephi chapters? So it starts with, um, I'm assuming this is, it says chapter one is a prologue. Prologue. Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's talking about the book of Isaiah. I'm sorry, the Isaiah chapters. It's talking about the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. But that syncs up with 2 Nephi. Right. Because he quotes it. So, um, but it goes, chapter 1 is a, what's the word? Prologue? Prologue? Yeah. <laughs> to the rest of the book, Isaiah 7, 14. And then it gives a bunch, foreshadows the mission of the Savior. Chapters 2, 11, 12, and 35. Deal with events in latter days when the gospel will be restored, Israel gathered, and a thirsty land will blossom as a rose. Chapter 29 contains a prophecy of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, which I know that's in here today and in the future. So I guess we can, in summation, we can just say that Isaiah knew what was up. Oh, like 100%. Right. (laughs) Like (laughs) 1,000% knew what was going on. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, but... It's just like Jesus Christ. In order to know who Isaiah was and understand his words, we have to learn of him, right? Right. And same with Jesus. Well, that's with Jesus Christ. It should be the same with Isaiah. The more that we come to understand him and who he was and his role, we're going to know about him. You know, we're going to understand his words a lot better. And also, I invite, um, because I I thought about it this morning before we started recording, um, but I invite y'all to go back and read first Nephi chapter 20, 21 and 22, because it actually kind of like it, it touches on a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same symbolism that we're going to find here in chapter six. So, um, nevertheless, let's get to chapter six. Nevertheless, let's dive in. We're about to dive in. Okay. So it opens with Jacob, uh, stating that he's been called of God and ordained after the manner of his holy order, uh, even the Melchizedek priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been given almost like he's on assignment from Nephi to teach the people about these things. 
And because, uh, because Isaiah knew what was up, he's going to use the words of Isaiah and liken those words unto the people of Nephi. So this has to be pretty cool for Nephi to be seeing his brother mm-hmm. do this, right? And we were just in a Zoom meeting earlier today for church, and there was kiddos giving a talk, and we've got to know these kiddos over Zoom. Um, and I, after Zoom was over, I was like, Kevin, these parents should be proud of their kids because they really understand the gospel. And I feel like it's almost like a parent moment that Nephi's having watching Jacob teach the words that Nephi taught him. Oh, yeah. You know, you have this experience or you have a relationship with your youngest sister Mm -hmm. that when she was born, you were already. Oh, yeah. I was like like 15. Yeah, you were 15 years old. And so. 16 almost. And so. Uh, you kind of had this almost like a, a maternal relationship with her. Nephi is going to have that same uh, parental um, relationship with Jacob because he's probably what, at least 16 years younger. At least. Yeah, yeah. at least. And so now Jacob is uh, a grown man, as I said earlier, <laughs> right. and he's teaching um, he's teaching the people, and he's a scriptorian. Um, so we're going to jump to verse 6 in chapter 6. Um, he says, he's quoting Isaiah. And in these two verses in chapter, in verses 6 and 7, are what I kind of really dug into this week. It says, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand, to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people and they shall bring thy sons in their arms and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. So if we can kind of unpack that a mm-hmm. little bit. Do tell. Um, when the Lord says, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles, we can follow a pretty elaborate scripture chain through the old Testament and find instances where someone talked about raising their hands in praise. And we, we, we experience that today as well, like raising up our hands, you know, saying hallelujah, even the Hosanna shout, you're like waving your hands. I mean, that you even sustain people by raising your hands. Very good point. Yeah. So you know what? The spirit just bore a very intense witness that there's something very like, that's what it's talking about here. Hmm. I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles. The Gentiles in the latter day are not these um, savages. They're not these, you know, <laughs> in, in the old Testament you had and in the new Testament, at least when Christ was um, performing his, his ministry on the earth, <clears throat> the Jews were the, the people who had all of this, spiritual knowledge. In fact, they were almost overwhelmed by it. Um, like the, the, the Sadducees, right. Who were like sort of, um, encumbered by all the laws and statutes of the law of Moses. Right. Meanwhile, the Gentiles were, um, not held accountable because they didn't know everything. We know now that in the latter days, the Gentiles are going to be gathered as 
um, members of as, the house of Israel. Yeah, as members of the house of Israel. And so um, even us, right? Like we may have some very, very small Israelite blood in us. Probably not a lot. It's because we've taken upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ, um, who's who's called the father of our spirits, right? Because mm-hmm. we've been born again of him. Mm-hmm. It's because we've chosen to follow him that we are made members of the house of Israel. And so, but we're Gentiles. And nevertheless, Jesus Christ, the Lord, has raised his hand, almost sustained us, mm-hmm. lifted us up. He's He's given us opportunity to, to do a great work, a marvelous work and a wonder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And he, when he says, set up my standard to the people, that's referring to the gospel in the, in the latter day, well, in any day, but specifically in the latter days, this standard or enzyme to the nations mm-hmm. is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It teaches everything that a man and woman must do to return to live with heavenly father and Jesus Christ as a family, <laughs> like as a whole earth family. Right. What were you going to say about seven? Seven. Um, if we go back and look in verse, uh, well, look in chapter 21, I believe of first Nephi, let me scroll back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, verse, in chapter 21, it talks about Gentile nations mm. shall be the nursing fathers of, of the, the Israelites, like the Jews. Gotcha. And it's because the, the chief Gentile nation, which is the United States of America, is the place where the Lord established his church in the latter days. Right. Now, very fortunately, because of the influence of that Gentile nation, we are able to establish Zion wherever we are, um, as long as we have the priesthood in effect there. And, you know, the, it's pretty right. awesome that the, the priesthood is more abundant, more men hold the priesthood today in this dispensation than ever before in all the dispensations. Pretty cool. What I like about verse seven, um, which by the way, verse six, awesome too, that, I don't know, it's just very poetic. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate, I'm learning the language. I'm appreciating it. Um, but seven, what I like, it talks about being the nursing mothers and fathers and, um, but at the very end of it, it says, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And, um, waiting, I believe the footnote references some other scriptures, but when I think of waiting, I just think of developing patience and virtue and understanding and knowledge that, um, he is the Lord we do have a heavenly father and this is the process of building up his kingdom for him to come again. And that we, maybe we won't be here when he comes to present it to him in its fullness. Um, but that we have a role to play to build that for the people who will present it to the Lord. And so 
And it talks about how they won't be ashamed um, because we can reference that back to first Nephi um, in the vision of the tree of life. Those people who are shamed and fell away. Um, there's so many, you could even reference it to like the seeds that are in what's the parable of the sower and the seeds. Mm-hmm. Some, some sow in like good ground and not good ground. And rocky has, ground. Yeah, yeah. And that, that actually correlates to the vision tree of life. But my point is that there is a point where we could become ashamed <laughs> right? Like if you let yourself. Um, but he says that the basically the answer to not be ashamed or the way to not be ashamed um, is to know that he is God and wait on him, develop patience, right? And that's how you're not ashamed. Yeah. I, th- I think that also kind of um, relates to, to trusting in the promises that he's made to us. Right. And saying, you know, even though I don't understand everything right now, I'm going to develop patience and trust, which are synonymous with one another in the mm-hmm. Lord. And when, when the world, you know, uh, when the world mocks our, our faith and our traditions, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be overcome by the mockery and the worldly things. I'm not going right. to fall away uh, back to your, your use of the the vision of the tree of life. I'm not going to partake of the fruit and know how sweet it is and then be ashamed and go and, and wander in forbidden paths and drown in the filthy water or even enter into that great and spacious building. Right. Um, uh, we have to, we have to be down for life. Right. That's what the Lord wants. <laughs> he wants disciples who will wait for him. Right. It's true. I think I was um I was getting it even talks about it again in verse 13. Uh-huh. Uh, same thing about not being ashamed for the people of the Lord are they who wait for him, for they still wait for the coming of the Messiah. So it it, it does it again. It repeats itself. I know I skipped over some verses there, but I well, wanted to find it. And something interesting about, you know, these prophecies of Isaiah is that they apparently uh, what you can read in, in the Book of Mormon student manual is that, and we talked about this with, uh, with Brandis, is mm-hmm. that Isaiah's prophecies are dualistic in nature, which means that they can be interpreted as being uh, fulfilled at multiple different times throughout history. Right. And some people might look at that and say, well, that puts a little bit of a, that puts a doubt in my mind that they're authentic, right? If, if you can assign them to so many different time periods on the earth, then maybe that draw, like maybe that draws the conclusion that they're just very loosely interpreted things. Mm. The way that I think of it is that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, okay? These things that he's talking to his people about and Mm -hmm. and sending the words of the prophets to them, like, they're always the same. Every general conference, we're being told essentially the same things, (laughs) right? Every sacrament meeting, you're hearing about the same things. Very rarely is there something that kind of knocks you, you know, um, knocks you out 
in terms of like, oh, wow, this is this is something um, this expounds on something. So um, Jacob, he actually reveals. I don't know if he's revealing it actually to the people right now, but he says that the Lord has shown him in verse nine that um, the the people, oh, and in verse eight, excuse me, that the people at Jerusalem from whence they came have been slain and carried away captive. And so we, we have already known that, but this is again a reminder that there is no going back for the Nephites. Um, and he says, nevertheless, in verse nine, the Lord has shown him that they should return again. And this is this is true. What happens at this point is that the the people living in in Jerusalem, the 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 Babylonians come in and they attack and they yeah. wipe them out. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've talked about it in the past. Like, what is Babylon symbolically and also literally? Um, at the time, Babylon was like this warrior empire, right? They came and they conquered, but also they were, they were a scourge unto the children of Israel. Um, and it was because of their iniquity that the Lord allowed Babylon to come in and take them out and, and scatter them as well as like take them captive, but the Lord's promises are still in effect as long as there are still faithful, uh, faithful men and women who want to, to listen to him, want to hear him. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to be restored to their land after time went on. And it goes into the, the time when Jesus would come to live on the earth uh, in his mortal life. It's interesting because as you were talking about that, you said it takes time. Immediately, my thought went to repentance for Mm -hmm. some reason Um, because he promises them that they will be gathered in the next verse. In verse 9, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they should return again. Um, But first they had to be scattered and in order to be gathered. Not saying that, well, we do make mistakes because we are human in order to become whole, in order to become gathered ourselves. And so it just, it, it kind of is a reflection of repentance to me of them being scattered and gathered, but having that process take time. Cause I know every time that you repent with a sincere heart and a contrite spirit and you kneel down, you immediately if the spirit had been gone because of what you did you immediately feel him come back to you when you choose to follow christ and so that repentance with the house of not that i'm saying the house of israel had to repent like babylonian but was babylon or these people had to repent for not um obeying the commandments and well they did they needed to repent never mind so i guess yeah. this makes sense as repentance sorry i just had this thought i didn't plan on sharing it so i'm trying to put it together as i'm thinking of it but it really does coincide with repentance i feel like 
And that's, that's important for us to see that sometimes there are certain things that we do that do take time to heal and they, and they come as time goes and the blessings are so great over that period of time of healing, if that makes sense, because right now everything is being gathered and those blessings are so great. Like the whole house of Israel is being gathered. Like that's a really cool, like it's coming true. It's, it's happening. <laughs> but in a sense too, um, in Nephi's time and Jacob's time, they were being gathered too. And they were still trying to get the Lamanites to come unto God. And they were still trying to gather. So it's happening. It's, it's happening. This is the ultimate time that we're in right now of gathering. But we see it happening throughout periods of time. Anyway, those are just my thoughts. I blurted out. <laughs> well, yeah, what, what I like about them is there's there's so many things that I wanted to say during, but Sorry. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, you can interrupt me because I interrupt you all the time, like right now. <laughs> when you talked about, the first thing you talked about was there needed to be a period of repentance. Uh-huh. All throughout human history, um, the, even the, the temporal existence of the earth, right? When God has spoken to man through prophets, there's a, a period where uh, a prophet is raised up. He preaches the, the gospel to right. the people. They, some receive him, some reject him. And eventually, because of the collective iniquity of the people, the prophet is either slain or exiled or just not listened to. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he effectively cannot... Um, achieve his mission and then apostasy sets in. And then there's another time where the, the work must be hastened and another prophet is raised up and the same thing happens again. Well, what, why are there periods of apostasy? It's because the people become so iniquitous and so wicked mm-hmm. that the Lord, he cannot abide their wickedness. He's not going to save them in their sins. Mm-hmm. He has to wait for a period of time of chastening. In which that's what the Babylonians were to the Israelites. That's even what the Egyptians were to the Israelites in ancient times. And so that's the one thing that I wanted to bring up. The other thing was that, what was it? Oh, yeah. The, this whole idea of Isaiah's prophecies mm-hmm. seemingly being fulfilled at different times, it's because Dang it, Israel just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then you're sitting there thinking like, oh, these prophecies could, uh, you know, theoretically have been fulfilled at multiple times in human history. It's because we're doing the same things over and over again. We don't learn. Right now, third phase, like third fork prong of what I was going to say. The gathering of Israel or rather the building up of Zion, mm-hmm. man, Adam and Eve were trying to build that up with their children. Right. Okay. Enoch apparently did a really good job because he and his people, they were translated. They were gone. Right. They left the rest of them behind. Um, the rest of the people on the earth at that time. So it's not a new thing that people have been trying to gather together and live according to God's law. Right. But they haven't really been able to do it very well. Right. For whatever reason. 
And like to your point, even in the Book of Mormon times, there were periods of time where they were gathered together and they lived harmonious, both the Nephites and the Lamanites. Mm -hmm. But then there were long stretches of strife and apostasy um, among different groups of people, culminating in the great apostasy when the last Nephite dies, buries up the record until that uh, that fullness of times comes. Well, that would be, no, that's not the start of the great apostasy. The start of the great apostasy was uh, Peter when, and Paul. Well, well, I guess it could, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I I'm not saying the, the, the great apostasy is from the time when there were no more authorized servants right. in either land. Which, I mean, you look at the timelines, Moroni, mm -hmm. who is the last Nephite prophet, right. he died somewhere around 500 AD. Mm -hmm. Peter, Paul, and James, so like they, 80 AD. yeah, they all died around 80 AD. So, yeah, I mean, now, gotcha. but we don't, you know, I see what you're saying. I just always think about it as it's starting after like Peter had died or anything like that. But you know, it doesn't matter. The, the point is that the priesthood authority was gone, right? right? Like it, it was lost. No one was following what had been set, all that. And you cannot gather Israel mm -hmm. without the priesthood. That's very true. And speaking to that of the priesthood um, in verse 12, first it talks about how in like 10 and 11, how they're going to crucify. Well, end of nine crucify our Lord Jesus Christ, um, hardened, stiff-necked, judgments will come upon them. Uh, it talks about these things that will happen unless they repent, which is what brings me to verse 12. It says, And blessed are the Gentiles, they of whom the prophet has written, for behold, if it so be that they shall repent and fight not against Zion and do, and do not unite themselves to the great and abominable church, they will be saved. For the Lord, this is it, for the Lord God will fulfill his covenants which he has made into his children. And for this cause, the prophet had has written these things. So the purpose of the gathering and the Book of Mormon and these things is so that these covenants can come to pass to be able to gather his children. And covenants are such a key in gathering because they literally tie us together forever, regardless of time. Right. Okay, like... In heaven, we don't understand time up there. Let's just put it that way. We don't know what it's like. I, mean, I don't know what it's like. I can't sit here and right. say, I had a dream about time. I don't know. I don't know what it's like. I just know that what we do here is bound in heaven. And that's why it's so important that those covenants take place among the children of men today. And so we're linking ourselves together all over the world and past people who have died and who will yet live and who are living. Right. <laughs> Right. That's a common theme. Right. Jesus Christ is the day, is the same t yesterday, today and forever. Um, what's the thing? Like we're linking people who died before today and who will live. Like you see that like form of wording in the scriptures. Truth to me, light, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So like that is a very significant thing that I've learned in the scriptures that whenever I hear that phrase, my mind automatically goes to the truth, like the word true, um, and Jesus Christ and light, um, because it's linking everything from past, present, and future. 
Yeah. Um, no, I like that. I also wanted to shout out to Kevin. Um, he he loves saying, like, when something happens, something silly, like, say a kid drops uh, some goldfish at church or something, he always leans over, or I'll say something funny, and I'll be like, this is why Israel falls short. <laughs> he'll just say these funny things. Okay. It's just a funny joke that I wanted to shout out that he does. And it's funny to see, because you can see where you mess up even in your own self. Like you could say, oh, this is why Israel falls short. <laughs> because we're human, right? Because right? we're, we're more, I don't think I've ever said that about a kid dropping Well, I'm, I'm giving an example. <laughs> like I'm giving an example of how yeah. silly you use it. Yeah. Just a shout out to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that I've, I've come to uh, be more sensitive about like, oh yeah, like we're a, we're a fallen people. Like no wonder why so many people, including myself, cannot get this right. Right. Luckily we had a God Mm -hmm. sacrifice himself and atone for all the things that would go wrong in this mortal life um, for all, all, eternity right and so we can we can repent we can we don't have to worry about our fallen state as much we can look forward to a glorious resurrection i can't wait until we get to talk about the resurrection um so you know we go through these verses and there's there's some really strong imagery and language that jacob is calling up from from Isaiah's words in verse 14, he says, according to the words of the prophet or Isaiah, the Messiah will set himself again the second time to recover them. Now the, we know that we've talked about it to, to no end on this episode, but (laughs) the gathering is happening. Mm -hmm. The gathering will be fulfilled when Christ comes himself to the, to the earth again for the second time as the king, right? Mm-hmm. As, you know. To uh, take his rightful place on the throne. Right. Over the whole earth. Yes. No one can deny him at that point. Correct. Because okay. everyone will know. <laughs> this is something that I know it may seem like we're going off in a, in a tangent, but because we are recording this for our posterity. And so by the time, you know, other people listen to this in the far distant future, they'll be like, Oh yeah, Kevin and Shelby do say this a lot. (laughs) Sometimes we'll be driving in the car, Shelby and I, and the sun will be low enough in the sky that it's like hitting us in the face. And we'll have to put down the visors and I'll say, you know, when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be even brighter mm-hmm. than that light. And we can't even look at the sun without it being very uncomfortable and damaging our eyes. Right. So no one will be able to deny that Christ has truly come back when he does, because it'll be so glorious. It'll be such splendor. We'll be, we'll be blinded by it. And it, you literally just quoted the next line that says, he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory. Um, oh, this is interesting. Unto the destruction of their enemies. 
uh, when that day cometh. Yeah, there, there won't be any denying it because the people who have waited for him, the, the true and steadfast disciples of Christ, will see their enemies destroyed. Which that actually, that seeing, okay, let me get my thoughts together. Hearing you say that makes me really sad <laughs> because that sucks, man. Like, that's why we're trying to share the gospel because we don't want anybody, you yeah. know, not saying, hey, if you don't hear it, you're going to get destroyed. That's not what I'm saying. But, like, that's got to be, that's at the point where justice is being met and there there's no more room for mercy at that time. Like, people have had a chance. And we got, this has got to be, like, the wicked, wicked, wicked. Like, Correct. not just your person who runs a red light and says he believes in Jesus. Like, no, no. that's not it. This has got to be a really wicked, wicked, wicked people that you just don't understand how they don't know. The thing is, is that at the, you know, and we, we read about this in the book of Revelation, uh, more so than really any other Revelation uh, mm -hmm. or, or book of Scripture. The people who have will align themselves with the church of the devil, right? With the beast. Mm -hmm. Those people are like, they, they've, they're apostates. They know the truth, but have denied it. Mm -hmm. Right. There are going to be so many people who see these amazing things and are ministered to by angels. And yet they're going to deny the, the power thereof, right? They're going to deny the Christ because they love the world. Mm -hmm. They love what they have on the world. And so, you know, to just, just kind of to piggyback or reaffirm what you're saying, these people, uh, the enemies of God, um, they're going to be of a different caliber of sinner that we don't, we don't even really understand right now. Right, and it's not up to us to understand because we can't Correct. even judge anyway. So I also wanted to point out when you said, you know, that under the, under the destruction of the enemies, mm -hmm. and you were like, it's kind of sad. I also think of like not people who are the enemy, but also like temptation and poverty mm -hmm. and That's hunger. A good point. Like the enemy of man, right, are also things that happen to man that aren't really his fault. But they're they're stirred up as like you know. Yeah, that's a really really good yeah. point. So you know, there's going to be a come a point where I, I'll be happy for that. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I know what you're saying. So anyway, uh, not to go too far on that. That's that's one thing I had. Uh, Fifteen goes into it too about fire and bloodshed and earthquakes yeah. and pestilence. Um, and they shall know that right. the Lord is God, the Holy One of Israel. There won't be any denying it. That's very true. Um. In verses 16 and 17, it's talking, It here's where Isaiah's words and his, his symbols kind of get a little bit interesting. But we can unpack it. Um, and, of course, this is Jacob, um, you know, reading from Isaiah. It says, he asks the question, for shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? That's a question. Will those things happen? Thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. For thus saith the Lord, I will contend with them that contendeth with thee. So if you think about that, the prey of the mighty, right, the weak things of the world will be made strong and be delivered. 
the lawful captives. I think of that and, and I read a little bit with it, but it's like those who are made captive by the law, maybe unjustly, but because. Yeah. It says righteous captive. Right. The covenant people of the Lord. Right. Right. So they, they, they'll be delivered as well. Did you have any thoughts about that before we close no, it out? I just want to point out that it was righteous captive. Like the what righteous you said. Captive. It says, because if you click on lawful captive, well, it says righteous captive. Yeah. The covenant people of the Lord. So it doesn't mean that. I mean, in the last days, just because you're righteous doesn't mean you're not going to endure uh, these things. It just means mm. the Lord's not going to cast you off forever. And right. it, it may be unjust very well that you're... I don't know, literally captives somewhere and they won't let you go. Um, it's okay. The Lord's got you. It says, for thus saith the Lord, I will contend with them that contend with thee. I mean, he's going to come. Right. And then there is no denying. And those people are going to look at you like, oh, crap, I should have listened to them. But it's too late <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Anyway. And again, verse 18, it just closes out. says, and all flesh shall know that I am the Lord or I the Lord am thy savior and thy redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Man. So I have a thought. We should come to know him, not by the destruction and the pestilence and the famine that's to come, but we should come to know him in the way of the spirit teaching us and the scriptures and the prophets and all those things. I would rather come to know that way than to come to know by destruction and famine and pestilence. And that's that's part of the gathering of Israel, which we've talked about very much, is that we are to take that to everybody that we know and share that with them so they're not coming to know that way. Yeah. They can come to know the way that we know now. Oh, I'm so sorry. My, my brain <laughs> hit the table. <laughs> I just want to say um, that the... I'll say this in conclusion for myself mm -hmm. because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. What you said has to be true, right? We're going to know one way or the other. We're going to know that the Lord is our savior, our redeemer. He's our King. He's the deliverer. All of these things that, that are for our good and our benefit. But because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, because it does make right all those things that are wrong, mm -hmm. justice has to have its say, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a just God who saves and delivers, but doesn't mete out justice, right? So... We have, we have this period of time to prepare and to repent right. and to take full advantage of this, this infinite, wonderful atonement. If we don't do that, we're going to be faced with the bloodsheds, the famines, the pestilences. Um, we're going to be, we're going to be destroyed along with the enemies of God. Was it you that asked me, Shelby, when have you seen the Lord in like a catastrophic world event? Were you the yeah, one that asked me that? Yeah, I think that? so. I remember 
Um, when I was like, oh goodness, I was a teenager. There was an earthquake in California, very little, like 4.0, um, but I felt it. And I remember like the spirit witnessing to me like, hey, this is the Lord doing that, like this earthquake. And I was like, wow, and, and there's going to be more to come in the last days. And I just remember that so clearly. And even right now, like pestilence and, and plagues, like we're <laughs> COVID-19, like this, like over a million people have been affected in the United States. Like mm. it's a lot of people. Um, that's the Lord manifesting his hand. Um when hurricanes happen, when when tornadoes happen, and when these things happen, that's the Lord trying to chasten his people and get him to remember him, you know? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes in these catastrophic events, things are taken away. Um, houses are ripped down. Your belongings are gone. It kind of really forces you to look at, oh, my goodness, what really does matter to me? And it, it humbles a lot of people. Um And I would hope that if a tornado were through here, I'm really scared of tornadoes. Um, (laughs) I don't live in the right place for that. But (laughs) if everything got ripped away from me, I would know that the Lord would be right there to help after the fact. And I'd be so humbled of all the things that were to follow. Um, And I would actually thank him for it because Ultimately, it's probably going to allow us to hit like this reset button and be better than we could have before. And so I think that's the point he's trying to get to here with his people in the words of Isaiah are let's let's remember who we are and bad things might happen, but the Lord will deliver us in the end and we'll be greater because of it. So, yeah, those are my last little thoughts. Well, thank you. Yeah, this has been um a longer podcast episode, partly because we we started at the beginning, kind of talking about the plates yeah. and the sources of the Book of Mormon, things like that. We also, you know, we just had a lot to talk about today with Chapter Seven, or excuse me, Chapter Six. We wanted to cover Chapter Seven as well. Obviously, that didn't work we'll out. We'll probably do Seven and Eight next week. I think so. Seven is Seven. Chapter Seven is kind of a. It's short. It's only eleven verses. And it's just like so Isaiah, right? Yeah, a lot to understand. A lot to understand. Or, we'll, like, yeah. We'll have time next week to get to all of it. Um, but please read it in preparation. Um, follow all the footnotes. Go and look into the student manual um, before you come and, and study with us. Um, yeah. Oh, and also, if you want to listen in on another podcast, we have conference talk. Um, we do that like on Tuesdays or Wednesdays during the week. So you'll get another midweek episode if you want. Awesome. Yeah. All right, y'all. We will see you next time. Bye. We hope you're enjoying the Christ Centered Conversations podcast featuring the Book of Mormon. If you have any suggestions for the show, please message us on Facebook at Kevin or Shelby Stanfill. We also invite you to visit churchofjesuschrist.org for more information on the Book of Mormon and the restored gospel of Jesus Christ.